Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. The F1 schedule is heating up. Will you go with the O, Reliable, and Max Verstappen? Or take your chance with a potential surprise. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of your screen somewhere. Or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review. Really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media. Joining me today, we have a three-person pods. First time we've actually done this on the show. We'll start with uh, Megan Schuster from The Ringer. Megan, how are you? I'm great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. How was Europe? We didn't really get Europe to talk was... about it when we, uh, when we, when we, before we came on to record here. Europe was wonderful. Um, I had a great time. I was in Stockholm, Paris, and Amsterdam. Um, and if you've never been to Stockholm or hadn't considered it, I would put it on your radar. It was very pleasantly surprising. What was Amsterdam like? Because I always wanted to go. I've I've always wanted to go there. I was I was trying to plan a trip where I went and covered the the, the Dutch Grand Prix and then spent more time there this year. But I didn't end up making that one happen instead of going to the british grand prix but like what was what was amsterdam like amsterdam was great extremely walkable uh we did a canal tour the van gogh museum which i would highly recommend i actually saw a couple of max verstappen hats in the wild which i was really (laughs) not expecting to see so that was a little bit uh shocking and pleasantly surprising but no i would recommend it very walkable city and uh, also joining us today from Fangraphs, it's Michael Bauman. Bauman, uh, what's changed from uh, seven days ago? <laughs> uh, I went to Woodbury, New Jersey yesterday and oh. got a tattoo. So, oh yeah, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not you not you simply must go to Europe. I'm not on the grand tour like Meg is, but we, you know we're having some fun in the Pine Barrens down here. So what did uh, I saw on Instagram? Your tattoo was uh, a seal getting out of water. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's a what's you gotta take me back. It's story. a long story. You can cut this out <laughs> if, if it takes too long. But basically, during the pandemic, my friends and I um, would every Friday we would have a Zoom bracket night where we would pick a uh, a topic and argue about it. And so one of the topics early on was uh, what's the best kind of mammal? And I made the bracket, and I'm a big fan of seals. Uh, and so I put seals and sea lions number one overall. And my wife found out about, or she realized that I had done this about halfway through the argument and uh, ridiculed me in front of all my friends. And it became an inside joke. So we've all like, as we're coming out of the, the pandemic, a bunch of us are getting tattoos based on those uh, arguments. So this one is mine. I like it. Um Let's talk about Formula One, Spanish Grand Prix coming up this weekend. <laughs> uh, F1 Classic, obviously, with the uh, the racetrack at uh, Circuit de Catalunya uh, in Spain. Uh, I mean, especially now they've opened up the last two corners again, and we we can touch on this later, but I'm just so excited for that. Um, Sergio Perez, uh, really rough Monaco Grand Prix. Let's talk about him. Uh, we didn't get to talk about him much on Sunday on the last episode of Nailing the Apex, but... Um, this is a big weekend for him, I feel. Um, judging by how things, like how badly things went in Monaco, and like one Michael Scott would say, it's over. We're screwed. Is it over for Sergio Perez? Megan? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was over after Miami, if I'm being totally candid with you both. Oh. Um, 
I really thought he had to pull off something there to give himself some sense of hope because most of his results and wins had been on, well, all of his wins had been on street tracks. And, you know, there was such a cluster of them at the beginning of the season that we aren't going to get that the rest of the year. And, and Max has kind of boat raced him on those more classic tracks. So, yeah, I, I thought it was over. I, I especially think it's over after this. I hope he can now kind of settle into a role where he's not trying quite so hard. I felt like that was where he went wrong a lot in Monaco, was just really trying to push it all the way to the edge to get on pole, which I think he knew he had to do. Crashed, of course, saw his car fly through the air, which is another thing I would like to talk about, how Mercedes is very intently studying the Red Bull floor these days. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I, I thought it was over. I, I especially think it's over now, and I kind of hope he can just settle into a role where, you know, if Max has some sort of mechanical issue or a failure, that he can step in and, and get a few wins. But, yeah, I don't think it's close anymore. Bauman. Yeah, I think that my my stance on Checo versus Max in a intra-team title fight all along has been that Checo can beat Max – when he's getting everything right and circumstances play into his favor. And I just didn't see that happening 12 times in, in 22 races, particularly because when Max has a bad weekend, he finishes second or third. I think it's, uh, he had this incredible streak from, I think it was 2020 through maybe Monaco last year of when he had a healthy car, he finished on the podium every, uh, every race. And when Checo has a bad weekend, he finishes fifth in Australia. He finishes you know in among the back markers in monaco and meg is exactly right that i think he's not just a a street circuit specialist like he's one of those drivers who's good in uh in changeable conditions as well uh this would have been an ideal race for him if he hadn't been it and you know not even in qualifying in q1 and just couldn't like the difference between a very good grand prix driver you know like sergio perez and one of the all-time greats like max verstappen is the ability to get something out of situations like you know when you fall into a situation like that to to eke out even points i think would have been a a tall order here so this is just he can't ever have a weekend like this if he's going to challenge max and now he's had you know i think you're right miami's a missed opportunity you know if he had won in miami won in monaco like we could talk about the street Mm -hmm. you know singapore is coming down the line but you know maybe tracks you know conventional circuits with some unusual characteristics like Canada, like Hungary, he could have given Max a run for his money, but I think it's just time to give up the pretext now. I mean, it's, I think, it, yeah, I, I agree with, with both of you. I think it's going to be tough for him moving forward for sure. I mean, coming into Miami, I, I thought that like, honestly, I thought that he was going to be able to at least put up a fight, but when you're going up against Max Verstappen, the guy's at like the peak of his powers right now. He's performing so well that it was going to be tough. You have to be consistent and limit the limit the mistakes. I mean, obviously you have a huge mistake from him in Monaco, but I also think Miami was a good was a was a was was good. Well, it's not good to see. Wouldn't be good to see for Sergio, but for me, it was interesting to see how. I mean, Max dealt with the tires and the tire situation. I mean, Sergio has always been really good with tires, tire management, and we've got a new compound for this year. And I think he's, I think at the beginning of the season, I think Sergio had a bit of an upper hand in that department. And I think as we got into Miami, that's when Max got on top of that. And I think Miami was an example of, 
of 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 how Max had figured out the tire, especially in race conditions, because they were both on the different strategy, and Max was able to just make all of that work. Plus, he was in a load of traffic as well for that first stint of his, and I just think he did a better job with the tire, and I think he's just on top of it. And I honestly don't think Max can be beaten, And which brings up the question, can Red Bull win every single race this season? I brought this up one week ago, you and did. you scoffed. I did, and I, <laughs> and I still am going to. I, go for it, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> so this... I. I don't know that I'd bet on it. I, you know, if you'd have to, I think I'd have to get favorable odds to to bet on Red Bull running the table, just because twenty two races is just a huge number of uh, of uh, you know weekends to string together where at least one of the cars is is at or near the front of the grid. I think you know what we saw that incredible battle for for pole and qualifying in Monaco showed that the gap was just like you said lower here from Red Bull to. Aston Martin, Ferrari, Alpine, Mercedes than it would be at other tracks and now that this opportunity is come and gone for Charles Leclerc or, or Fernando Alonso or whoever else to um, to steal a win, you know, we're sort of looking for that next ideal condition or that next ideal situation I think at this point it's going to take a crash or a breakdown or you know, because particularly what we've seen Max Verstappen do a couple times this year already is something goes wrong in qualifying and he's still able to fight back for first or mm-hmm. second because that Red Bull is so good in traffic. And that, you know, you think back to the last dominant car, the, you know, the Mercedes of like the, the mid to late 2010s, that car's qual or that car was so aerosensitive that it was so good in qualifying and so good at the front of the pack that even Lewis Hamilton sometimes struggled to get it through traffic in a way that, you know, Verstappen and this Red Bull are not. And so that's just another weakness that or you know it's another space where a front runner would ordinarily have a weakness where there just isn't one now and you know nothing about the way that most of the 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 competitors maybe Aston Martin being the only exception like but nothing about Ferrari or Mercedes or Alpine in the direction that they're going really gives me a whole lot of confidence that they're going to close that gap on pace and so unless Red Bull is so far ahead that they check out of developing this car completely uh, and we get a fluke result in Brazil or Mexico or you know some other track like that that I just don't know. I just don't know where that win is going to come from. You know, it, it's probably a better than even money bet that it will come somewhere. Like even the the dominant Michael Schumacher Ferrari teams never ran the table. You know, McLaren Senna, uh, McLaren with Senna and Prost never yeah. ran, ran the table. So it'll happen somewhere, I guess, but. You know, Red Bull have to be heavy favorites in every race from here to the end of the season. They've just done it on so many different types of tracks now. Yeah, I I think they can win every race. I, I would agree with you, Bama, that I don't think that they will. Um, but there's got to be some outing where, you know, Max has an issue and has to retire the car and, and you know, Checo gets into a battle with Fernando or maybe they both retire the car. Who knows? Like you said, there are so many more races to come, but... I think that can question is so interesting too, because I agree with you Bauman that this car really allows Max to be patient where in the past, I think we saw him make mistakes when he was overly aggressive, you know, going up against Lewis and when maybe he didn't have this full fledged faith in the machinery, but 
he is able to take his time on those early laps. Even when he's in traffic, he's able to really kind of sit back and let the race come to him and make the overtakes where he wants to and where it's convenient for him because they have that DRS pace and because he has just full confidence that the car is going to be there. So I, I don't see him, you know, crashing out and doing anything embarrassing like he maybe would have done in past years. Um, I, I think he is just able to kind of pick things apart however he wants. And with that pace, he's always going to get back to the front. Yeah, I don't think Red Bull's going to be winning all the races this season only because of a few things. Actually, Megan, you alluded to to, to this a little earlier with the, the floor of the Red Bull, obviously, with Sergio Perez's crash in Monaco. We were able to get uh, a good look at that thing, and I believe it was Ted Kravitz who had said that Mercedes's upgrades, upgraded floor and side pods were prehistoric compared to uh, the Red Bulls, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think having that exposed is going to change some things with how the development race is going to going to take take place i mean sergio did say today that the team probably won't be bringing any more big upgrades to the car for the rest of the season they do have a uh, new floor that will be debuted this weekend but aside from that he wasn't too sure wasn't very confident in saying there wasn't going to be anything really big coming down the pipeline where we still have got huge upgrades that are coming for a lot of the other teams. And I honestly still believe, because we saw it last season, that teams can claw back big amounts of performance with this regulation. Now, is it going to be performance that's going to be on the same level as Red Bull? I doubt it. But I also think there's going to be tracks where Red Bull's going to struggle a little bit, and then there's going to be a team like Aston Martin, Ferrari, uh, or even Mercedes, who are going to hit on something one weekend, and then we're going to see an actual battle for podium positions and maybe, maybe the lead of the race. But, again, there's still a lot of racing to go, like you guys have already said. Um, but it's actually it's interesting to see with what Mercedes brought last weekend, and then this weekend Ferrari has a massive upgrade that they've brought. Do you guys think that Aston Martin could fall off their current pace and maybe even drop out of second place in the constructor standings. I'm a little bit surprised that they haven't fallen off pace to this point. Um, not because I think that even, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari are making that many leaps and bounds to get closer to them. It's more that I just sort of expected all of their development to have come in the beginning and for them to slowly fall away. And I don't know if it's just like Fernando driving like his head's been cut off or what is exactly happening there, but they have really kind of surprised me with their ability to maintain across the races. And, you know, seeing him with his foot up on Max's podium last weekend was <laughs> very, very fun and very cheeky. And uh, he posted it to his Instagram as well and kind of like nudged and pointed at his foot like he knew what he was doing and this was not a mistake. Um, so I, I think he has full confidence that they'll continue to be up there. Um, and I kind of hope that's the case. I think it would be extremely fun if they are able to maintain this across the rest of the season. Yeah, Bauman, they're separated by, I mean, Mercedes is one point behind in third place behind Aston Martin. Yeah, I think that speaks to two things. One, George Russell being better than Lance Stroll, as much as I would love to get on the future world champion bandwagon with him. And I, like, I, I, I do think some of the mockery of Lance Stroll is overblown. I, you know, I think he is a cut above some of the other 
you know, quote unquote pay drivers than uh, in F1 over the past few years. But so there's that. And also Mercedes just tends to be a very clean race operation in a way that definitely Ferrari is not. Alpine has uh, has struggled and, and Aston Martin, you know, to a certain extent as well. So they're just not making as many mistakes. And this is, you know, this is how they challenged Ferrari last year. And so I don't know, but the, the, it all just comes back down to, to pace against the, the Red Bull and like the, the Aston Martin having more developmental time, more wind tunnel time, more CFD runs, I think is, is one area where I would say, you know, that gives me a little bit of confidence that they, that they will continue to make gains against uh, the rest of the field and, and particularly Red Bull just based on them finishing farther back in the Constructors' Championship last year. But, you know, who knows? So, yeah, I think that I – don't, I don't really think it's Fernando Alonso flattering the car the way – you know, Lando, Lando Norris has a McLaren or Charlotte Claire has a Ferrari over the past couple of years. I don't think he's really overdriving it to beyond where, what it's capable of. I think he's just getting the best out of the second best car on the grid, and he's finishing third most of the time. I think there's going to be two things that put them out of second in the constructor standings, one of them being moving into a new factory. I'm curious to see if that interrupts any mm. flow of production and... Oh, I hate obviously music. they're obviously they're still using Mercedes's wind tunnel for the time being, but they're the way that they have to structure their time in that wind tunnel is a lot different from what Mercedes obviously has to do because it's theirs and it's on site for them. Where Aston Martin's a little bit different; they got to ship everything out there. Um, and then the other part of it is actually it's an interesting remark that Helmut Marco um, brought up. He believes that uh, the impending reduction in CFD and wind tunnel time will hurt actually hurt Aston Martin in the second half of the season. I mean, I I can I understand because it gets reset at a certain point and everyone mm. goes kind of back to zero and I can kind of see that, but at the same time I question, you know, how how has the sporting penalty hurt Red Bull? So for Helmut Marco to say that, I I I would like to understand how they were able to get the car that they've gotten. But not only that, is it going to affect the build-up to next season's car? Because they actually can use that a lot out of time, however they see fit. And I'll just be interested to see if, like, and I have a feeling we'll probably get that answer in the next few months, but I have a feeling that once we get to next season, I think these gaps are a lot closer than than they are now simply because of that sporting penalty. What do you guys think? Uh, maybe not the beginning of next season. I do think that we're seeing Ferrari and definitely Mercedes make up for the, some of the mistakes that they've made earlier in the uh, in the regulation cycle. And we're going to see them continue to upgrade the car this year. But, you know, I said this last week that it's not necessary. Like, obviously, they'd like to get faster this season. But it's about... Um, you know, not just improving their results this season, but building a base of knowledge for the 2024 card. And I think we'll start to see the fruits of that next year. And also, I think, you know, there have been a lot of high-profile technical reshufflings. We've seen, um, you know, Mercedes make a shuffle at the top. Ferrari's had a little bit of a shake-up. Uh, McLaren's bringing in uh, uh, David Sanchez and Rob Marshall, who just mm-hmm. directed the Little Mermaid movie. Uh, they start work uh, <laughs> next year. Um, and so once those guys get into the pipeline, I think we'll see 
definitely some design convergence, but also convergence in terms of, of performance. But I think that's something that'll happen probably within the first half of 2024, maybe not opening day, just because the lead time on this stuff is so huge. There is a, a part of me that's a little bit worried for both Mercedes and Ferrari for next year, given that they're sort of simultaneously developing the 2024 car and trying to upgrade the 2023 car. And this is something that James Allison, I think, has been talking about this week and that this is sort of an unusual predicament for Mercedes to be in, to be focusing and kind of splitting their resources on these two projects. And I know that, you know, Ferrari's car for 2024 is reportedly already in the wind tunnel. And so that's why they're not trying to make too many massive upgrades on the 2023 version since, you know, that would sort of mess up their entire direction for both both cars. But I wonder when that split in resources is going to bite those teams and whether it will be at the start of 2024 or maybe it's in, you know, some of their upgrade directions on the second half of the season, because I just don't think you can be split in two directions for this long and wind up with one cohesive solution. Yeah, I mean, speaking with, you know, Tom McCullough and, the other guys down at uh, Aston Martin during the Miami Grand Prix it really sounded like they're going to be switching over to you know their car relatively soon. I mean, looking at Ferrari, I mean, the introductions that they're bringing to the car for this weekend are huge. Like they have a brand new floor, the side pods are brand new. I mean, they're really from the images I've seen, you know, the the step that they're taking this weekend, that is a step more towards what Red Bull is doing rather than what their own concept was. And, you know, Ferrari has really, you know, struggled with quite a few things this season, and in particular race pace. Like this is a massive this is gonna be a massive step for for Ferrari. And it's kind of like them conceding that their concept just isn't working. And looks like that philosophy will change this weekend. Uh <laughs> And but then again, right? You brought up some great points, Mega. But like, how like how are they going to be able to split resources on developing not only the 2023 car but also the twenty twenty four car? I mean, if you look at what Mercedes did last weekend, I mean, it's a huge upgrade. And then you've got Lewis Hamilton, you know, coming out and saying that you know the upgrades weren't the improvement that you know they had dreamed of. But he feels. <laughs> But he feels like as as this thing rolls along, more changes will come to this car this season, and the team can get closer to the front. I, I don't know. What do you? How do you guys look at this? Do you think that like some of these teams can actually start clawing back performance this year? Because I, I believe it. I, I you know just basing it off of what I saw last season. It, so just kind of reading through some of Fred Vassar's quotes from this week, it sort of seems like Ferrari's not done, but they're done with like major major upgrades like they're not going to yeah. do like a full-fledged mercedes thing because he basically said at this point it wouldn't come through until october and then it's it's rather useless to us so i sort of respect him just coming out and saying that now and being like this is sort of what we've got and we're going to do our minor upgrades and we're going to try to get better within the race but at this point we're going full bore ahead into 2024 um and and i think that at this point, that's something that they have to do. Like, like the race pace issue is, I think, a much greater issue than some side pods. Um, even even though that's great for them right now, and hopefully will help them get past just being a qualifying only team. But um, I, I I think that they just need to keep focusing ahead and and trying to close that gap later rather than this year. 
Bauman, what do you think, buddy? It's, I mean, this is the one of the tougher decisions that team principals and technical directors have to make every year, and it's one that Red Bull for a while consistently got wrong. And I think it's interesting to view because it's not about it's not about just making a faster car. It's about improving your car faster than Red Bull can. And no team has less incentive to continue developing this season than Red Bull, uh, just because they're going to have less wind tunnel time to begin with. They've got the sporting penalties from the cost cap overrun, and they're so much, so far ahead. Like, I don't know why they would care about winning every, every race, but they're they're so far ahead. And if the other teams are already backing off and can, and you know, in a way, conceding this title, then Red Bull needs to be out in front. And uh, and focusing on 2024 and beyond, I will say, you know, with relatively stable uh, regulations, the two, you know, developing for the second half of 23 and developing for 24 are not mutually exclusive goals. I think there's a lot of value, particularly for a team like Mercedes that struggled with correlation between wind tunnel and on track performance to get these new parts, to get this new concept on the track and actually use this second half of the season as a test bed. Uh, You know, Lewis Hamilton being unsatisfied with the car you know, take that for what it's worth because he's always unsatisfied with the car. <laughs> but it, I, I think that there's, in a way, it's it's almost more imperative for the second group of teams to get on top of 24 because Red Bull will be so well incentivized to shift focus earlier than anybody else. And, you know, that doesn't mean giving up on 23 entirely. You could still bring parts, but it's got to be with, you know, like I've been saying, with an eye towards next season, not just salvaging one consolation win at the end of the season like Mercedes did last year. Let's talk about Haas because, actually, let's talk about the engine, like engine manufacturers 2026, and we'll start with Haas because on Sunday on this show, we spoke about... Um, a report that came out that Alfa Romeo were set to join Haas in a title deal from 2024. Now, obviously, that's not a an OEM, and there's no engine components involvement. It would strictly be mostly a branding exercise deal. Haas today, on Thursday, denied that there had been any talks about partnership but would be open to a deal with, with Alfa Romeo um, in the future, and it brought up some brought up some other points where, you know, I thought about okay, well, we had the Aston Martin Honda announcement last week, but then again, as we get forward and we we look at 2026, I mean, it sounds like a lot of these teams need this this OEM and um, car car designer relationship to come together because you can't keep buying all of your components and then hoping that things are going to work out and you're going to be able to beat your competitors where if you have things that are in-house then that may be a better option uh for you mclaren's andreas stella i think he feels that like you know because they don't have a relationship with an oem for 2026 at the moment but i think you know he feels that you they won't need an engine partner for that season or that regulation and it's not going to really impact what the team's like progress is going to be within that championship where I don't know, as I start to see like all of this start to happen and these teams are partnering up with all these OEMs and OEMs getting interested in getting involved in Formula One. I mean Bauman, I think like you and I discussed, like I think it's gotta go that way, doesn't it? Like it has it has to. That's the way that 
that the FIA and Formula One, the bigwigs up there, seem to want it to go. Yeah. You know, as far as you know, commercial incentives and competitive incentives, I don't think getting a an Alfa Romeo sticker on your car. I mean, let's see how what it's done for Sauber. I think Alfa yeah. Romeo's gotten like it's the best sponsorship deal in sports right now because people sure. think they're building an F1 car and they're not. Uh, and if they can roll that over and get in bed with with Haas and do the same thing, then obviously that's something that Alfa Romeo should try to explore. But I I don't think it's as important to get the branding as it is to get a works engine and a good one. And it, like this is something that's been the case, you know, since the seventies and eighties. That like you need to get uh, even the most successful privateer teams, you know, McLaren in the eighties and um, and Williams and, and you know. BAR when they were running well, like they were in tight with a major engine manufacturer. And that's the important thing, you know? And so whether that's, I guess the Red Bull Ford thing is, is a little bit different, but you know, out, what makes me optimistic for, for Sauber slash Audi in 2026 and and beyond is not, you know, the, the Volkswagen branding. It's the fact that they're going to be building their engine in house. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I, I think that it's convenient from a commercial perspective to for F1 from their, you know, from their point of view to get these car brands in and, and associate, you know, maybe they get, you know, nine or 10 teams for, you know, between these guys and the Andretti Cadillac thing. And, you know, however that shakes out, uh, you know, they could get every major manufacturer on the market competing in F1. I think that that's a I don't necessarily agree with that perspective because we've seen how fickle these big brands have been, these corporate conglomerates. And the the sport has been more – the more stable teams, McLaren, Williams, uh, Mm -hmm. have been, you know, these privately run teams that sort of – that can pick up and drop – you know these uh, these engine manufacturers as they come. You know Red Bull now I think is a a perfect example of this. They've been doing this for close to twenty years now. Yeah. So, but you know just because I disagree with it doesn't mean that there's not logic to it, and that, that seems to be the overriding logic that the Formula One is using. So, I'm sort of lukewarm on on this, but I definitely see I absolutely see why Alfa Romeo would pursue it. I can un- and I can understand why it would be attractive to Haas and why it would be attractive to to F1 as an organization. What do you think, Megan? Yeah, I mean, Haas certainly wants money wherever they can get it, right? So, you know, more more power to them for, for getting that. I, I agree with both, what both of you said, though, in that I think if you want to be a truly competitive Formula One team in this day and age, you you want that sort of a partnership where you can have control over what the engine looks like, what the components look like that go into it, how it connects into the car, I think. You know, obviously, if, if you are not one of those teams, you're sort of beholden to the Mercedes and Ferrari, et cetera, manufacturers who don't really have a whole lot of incentive to work super closely with you. Um, but I also think that there are teams on the grid that are probably pretty happy with where they're at, Haas being one of them. And, um, you know, I'm sure everyone would tell you that they want to be competitive and want to win everything i don't think that that's very realistic for them at this point and i don't know that that's like a truly end game goal of theirs um so they're probably perfectly happy with where they're at and i i think you know more and more we may start to see that split between the teams that are going to sign these kinds of big flashy deals and really do want to go for it and the ones that are content being a midfield team yeah, and I think, like, Bauman, you make a good point, too. I think some of these teams do need to figure out how they can kind of sort of protect themselves from all of the 
OEMs who get involved in racing and then all of a sudden they get a change in management structure and then they want to leave certain types of racing. I mean, I've been involved in the sport since I was like nine years old, so I've seen this happen a lot where engine manufacturers do get in, invested into a sport and then all of a sudden they all of a sudden pull out and then they decide to come back a few years later where they've left that team with no power unit or engine to run the car. And so yeah. I think that is a, a bit of a concern. I, I like what Red Bull's done with creating the Red Bull powertrain division. I think it's a really smart move. And yeah, that's the one thing I always think about too. So that was a good point that you brought up. Um, Aston Martin, uh, Fernando Alonso uh, brought up a point about the uh, Monaco Grand Prix and, uh, he he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, simply put that it was uh, easy for those sitting on the sofa watching the Monaco Grand Prix that I think what we're getting at here is the fact that the race isn't that exiting. And simply put, we discussed it on the show last well, week. Where this one was. Were, <laughs> I, I found it, it to be thrilling like, from my sofa. I, I don't know. Like Saturday's qualifying was, was awesome. Incredible. Like yeah. that was awesome. But like the race itself, I mean, it was okay i wouldn't say it was awesome uh, so here's what here's what i push back about that like there was obviously not a lot of overtaking and i i don't think there necessarily needs to be overtaking i think there needs to be jeopardy and the split strategies between red bull and aston you know and then the rain coming obviously threw everything into chaos and when when it's you know i think that bernie eccleston's uh thing about we should add sprinklers to every f1 track like i unironically agree with that so uh, so and we you know we saw this on on sunday but there needs to be something to pay attention to and i think that there can be and we talked about cycling last week i'm obviously a big baseball person as well those are two sports where not a lot happens but but it's the the fun in watching them is living with the anxiety of of wondering what will happen in the future. And I think F one, even when there's not a lot of overtaking, can be uh, can be very similar. And I think that one of the the big thing in terms of entertainment that I would try to um, try to adjust about the sport, it's not that, you know the, the problem is not the Red Bull is so dominant. The problem is not that it's hard to pass with these cars. The problem is not necessarily that. That they're so big and and they're not as nimble as they used to be and can't get around Monaco the way they used to. It's that everybody's running the same tire strategy and there's no chance to to pull a fast one when everybody's you know running medium to hard and and you know working the tires basically the same way. And you know I don't want to crap on Pirelli who take who've been tasked with a very very difficult job where you know everybody's going to be unhappy with some <laughs> aspect of their performance, um, but. You know, Verstappen got out and pulled out, you know, a pretty stable. Uh, it was like eight or nine seconds for most of the race gap before the, the rain came. But we were wondering, you know, I was wondering, like, if their pit stop strategy diverges and we get Alonso coming back at him on faster tires toward the end of the race, you know, could we get a battle for the end? Whether, you know, whether that's there's a surprise winner or even a decisive pass, like, that keeps my interest in the. Uh, in an individual race. So, I, you know, I obviously last week was on here criticizing the Monaco Grand Prix as a, a racing spectacle. I think last week's race was pretty good. It was one of the better races of, of the season, um, which might be a comment on the quality of, of some of the other races this season. But I don't know. I 
Monica is is just weird. It's a it's it's a unique thing because it's we sort of understand that it's not gonna be IndyCar. We understand it's about precision and and you know the driving experience and the you know the history and it's it can be a parade, but that's just sort of the the price you pay for revisiting this iconic venue. And everybody, you know, I think as much as we all complain about that, everybody's made their peace with it. So I'm sort of, I'm so far afield from the original question, but I I sort of push back against uh, Alonzo's premise a little bit, I think. Uh, Megan, did you get a chance to watch Monaco? I know you've been in transit, so I wasn't sure if you had a chance to actually sit down and go through it. I watched most of it um, from my phone while I was getting ready for a wedding that I was in on Sunday. So I don't have all of the uh, all of the details, but I, I will say I think the thing, the piece that kept me most interested in this maybe speaks to your point a little bit, Bauman, was that threat of rain and sort of the question of was it going to come? There was like the 30% chance. And then on the broadcast, they were like, oh, it's not going to rain. It's going to be fine. And then it did. And kind of watching, you know, Alonzo get his his pit stop strategy wrong with that. And just that looming threat, I think, ended up being the most interesting part for me. Um, So I, I will say I didn't, I, I, maybe that speaks more to the, the intrigue for me of Monaco then that like without weather, I think I would have found it very, very boring. Um, So if there is a way for us to get that sort of Buffalo wild wings, like button where you can click it and and change it like in those commercials (laughs) and just like maybe like five times a year, we get that at a race. That would be pretty great. Whether it's sprinklers or maybe some sort of Mario Kart like (laughs) banana peel on the track. I don't know. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, the weather was the most interesting part for me. I saw tweets saying Nicholas Latifi was that was the human version oh. of the of the B dubs button you were talking. Can we about. just get him back? Like like which team can we collectively pool our money together to pay to sign him? Because like like six times a year he was guaranteed to do something wild that just threw this everything is, out of whack. This is your eleventh team that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, F1 should run like a league-owned team and have Latifi and Yuki Sonoda in those two cars. We as will, just like the Joker team. We'll let Michael Andretti on the grid as long as he hires Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> as long as it's a bit, yeah. As long as it's a bit, yes. Uh, Spanish Grand Prix. So we'll see how this one shakes out with the old configuration coming back into the fold here uh last time they ran on it i believe was 2006 and then from 2007 onward it was the uh it was a slow sort of mickey mouse configuration where they were trying to encourage passing but it never really happened so i've raced on both configurations and very very much prefer (laughs) yeah gotta do it very much prefer this configuration they're going to be running this weekend i'm going to be very interested to see who could take the final turn flat out because i think that's going to be um that's going to be a challenge which is for me i love it it's going to be great i think this race is going to be pretty good too now whether or not it's going to be like awesome like monaco as michael bauman puts it i i don't know it may not be but i think with this drs zone and the way that this um the way that the track layout is i think we're probably going to get way more passing than we've seen so far this season now whether or not it's going to lead to an incredible race you know who knows um 
upgrades for this weekend. We've already mentioned a few with Red Bull and Ferrari. AlphaTauri's got a new floor uh, coming in this weekend. Does uh, I don't want to slam on Nick Nick DeVries, but do you think that yeah, you do? Well, you, not you okay, wouldn't well, keep doing it if you didn't want to do it. This is your <laughs> podcast. Well, here's the thing: I don't really like to slam drivers, and nor do I. Nor do I think Nick DeVries is a bad driver. I think he's a very good driver. I think with a new floor for this weekend, what I was going to say is I think this helps. And I think we get get Nick going in the right direction here. He had actually his Monaco Grand Prix was pretty pretty decent, if I remember correctly. Like he didn't yeah. have like a he didn't have a terrible race, which was good for him. And I think that seeing in the direction that he could go with a new floor, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see. Um Daniel Ricardo, uh, Megan, you brought this up before we came on. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, apparently, what he's selling his 720 Spider. He is selling his 720s Spider McLaren that he drove throughout the 2022 season. Um, shout out! Where did I see this news? PlanetF1.com for bringing this to my attention. It's, <laughs> it's very, very thrilling. I love any and all Daniel Ricardo drama. So there's been a big hole in my heart for most of this year, but. Um, this, this is really helping me out. So he's selling it for a reported 217,000 um, pounds. It has not quite 7,000 miles on it. Um, and apparently it goes from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. This is all of all the information that I can give you guys on this car. Um, but yes, only one this owner, is the one that he old drove. Lady, you only drove it to church. <laughs> only drove it to church. Only drove it after he... Uh, you know, had some success on track. Actually, no, that was 2021, wasn't it? So no, he only drove it last season. So maybe that's where all his bad luck came from. All of it can be traced to this one car. But yeah, he's selling it now, which is a very interesting, very interesting timing. I'm like, I don't know if this is trying to, you know, signal his continued breakup with them or any sort of lingering (laughs) bitterness. But that's uh, what I thought it was. That's definitely (laughs) like, this is definitely getting rid of the furniture you bought with your ex-girlfriend. Yes, yes. So in, in that way, I'm kind of surprised he waited this long, but maybe he thought this was when he could get the best price for it. Have you guys heard, like, some of the comments that Red Bull has kind of, like, keeps sort of saying over the past few races where yes. like, Dan- Daniel showed up, like, super thin. What did you do to him while he was at McLaren? We, yes. put, some, we put some meat on his bones. And they make him sound like he's bust. haunted. Like, like right? he showed up and was, like, a completely different person, and they're like, <laughs> he's finding his way back to himself now that he's back with us. Like... Yeah. It's it's like it's pretty dark. They make him sound like he just like lost it for two years. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be totally. honest. Having seen like the back half of last season, I think that's a pretty reasonable conclusion to draw that he was haunted. Yeah, I mean, like I wouldn't go that far. I mean, like I think like one of the thing about one of the things about Ricardo that I've I've noticed for the past quite a few years is that he always has good relationships with the teams. And he never mm-hmm. badmouths the team, and he never mm-hmm. gets into it with the team, and he always tries to keep that reputation of himself with other teams very professional. And that's one yes. of the things that I've known about Danny Ricardo for so long. And that's why, you know, when you brought this up about him selling the McLaren, like you know, the 720 Spider, I thought that was really strange. Like he must be moving or something, and just needs to offload it or something like that. But um, I don't know. If we put all of our money together, do you think we can buy it? 
don't know. Do you have $216,000, Tim? <laughs> I was going to say, not unless you guys have a lot of money lying around, because how, I certainly How about not. the, I don't know, your, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network is, is on the come. Is there... On a, you know, spare two hundred grand in the uh-huh. in the budget. Uh, I can talk to CEO uh, Adam Wild, Jesse Blake, and Steve Dangle to see if they've uh, got some spare cash lying around. If they want to invest it in uh, Daniel Ricardo's McLaren, and then maybe we can have it as a show car when people come into the studio. We just have it there because they've got these new. They've got a new big studio now that um, uh, that we built here in Toronto. It's actually really cool. Uh, but yeah, no, that'd be uh, that'd be all right. No, I Guys, think road trip, like web series. You know, we do the do Canada, drive down to to Austin. You know, drive there you down go. Mexico City, and at, yeah, like just do all the North American Grand Prix and Daniel Ricardo's McLaren. I'm in. You could double it. his mileage very quickly. There's not very yeah. much on there. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Megan, let everybody know where they can find you and what you got going on. Yeah, um, you can find me many weeks on the ringer f1 show otherwise you can find me on the ringer.com writing about succession golf um all sorts of things um and you can find me on twitter at meg schuster uh bellman same thing everybody yeah. we got going on twitter uh, at michael bellman fangraphs.com please consider becoming a member we're going to have some exciting mlb draft stuff uh, in the works that we're uh, we're doing some prep on right now, so be on the lookout for that at the end of June, early July. Did you guys uh, did you guys watch the final? I don't, Megan. You probably saw the final episode of Succession. You didn't? I didn't yet. I didn't oh. yet. I was traveling. What? I was traveling. So don't oh. spoil it for me. Oh no! I'm you like, can you work guys... at the Ringer without. Wait, hang on. Yeah. The only reason <laughs> I the only reason I watched Succession in the first place was because like I didn't think you were allowed to work at the Ringer without being up to date on it. Yeah. The I... only reason I was like, hold on, see, the only reason I was like really started to like dive in was because of I think it was Bauman. It was your article on the baseball hats. I yeah. think I'm very close to getting fired, you guys. I won't <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm at least two weeks behind because I was out of town. So Oh my god. Oh, they didn't rough. they didn't like it's set rough. aside time when you were in Stockholm to No, but we did we did ask um multiple Spotify executives uh which succession character they identified with. So hmm. Cr- critical critical analysis from us. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. If you want more from me, you can get me on social media at Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give Nailing the Apex five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Write a review. It helps us grow the show a lot. And we'll talk to you all later in the week.